This is a message from St. Paul Lutheran Church in Flemington, New Jersey. Come and worship with us every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. for our traditional service or at 10 a.m. for our contemporary service. Who do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know where you are. That's a subtly, you know, subtle differences there. But, but who is it? In fact, go ahead, think about that for just a second, and then turn to somebody next to you and tell them when you were a little kid who it was or what it is that you wanted to be when you grew up. Go ahead. I'll wait. Okay, I'm, I'm going to refuse to repeat some of what I heard up here. I won't, I won't repeat it. But, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Who did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I, I remember that uh, when I was in, like, first or second grade, uh, my parents, they were the custodians of the church that we attended at the time, and so uh, that meant that um, oftentimes on either Friday evening or Saturday morning or afternoon that we would uh, spend some time at the, uh, you know, in the worship center trying to straighten things up, clean things up, those, those types of things. And um, oftentimes when, uh, when my folks were doing the cleaning, uh, I would actually uh, grab a Bible or a hymn book uh, and I would climb up into the pulpit, actually... Yeah, see, those are, you know that's not true right there, right? Uh, even back then, I was not climbing up into a pulpit. They've always felt restrictive to me. And so, uh, but I would grab a Bible or I would grab a hymn book, one, whatever was at uh, my disposal, and I would walk around up front, much like you see me do today. Um, I would walk around up front and I would deliver a, just, a, I mean, one of those, I mean, a message, right? And my poor parents, they had to sit there and listen to that stuff, right? Um, I don't know that I, I know that I, no, I should say, I know that I didn't realize it back then, but I'm thinking that more than likely I was just simply trying to, uh, trying to be or had visions of maybe becoming like a Billy Graham type of guy. <laughs> See, you find humor in that. You're not supposed to. <laughs> but yes, I know that I've got a long way to go, and that's okay. Uh, God is not finished with me yet, so be patient. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that's the way things kind of go, right? Uh, and, and so what we're talking about here is what I was really doing is I was imitating. You know, I, I, maybe it was the pastor in all fairness and, uh, of that church, and maybe it was Billy Graham. I know my parents, we, they would, every time Billy Graham was on, we watched them, and that was a family thing. And so I don't know what it was, but that's kind of where it was happening. Uh, you know, the thing about uh, imitating uh, people, though, uh, have you noticed how imitating or being imitated, it kind of changes over the course of our lives? Have you ever thought about that? Have you noticed that? Uh, for instance, uh, what I mean by that is uh, when you were in elementary school and someone would mimic uh, every move that you made or repeat every word that you said, um, what would you say? What did you call the person that did that type of thing to you in elementary school? You said they were a... Yeah, right? And you would, look, you would shake your little finger in their face and say, you copycat are you, right? How many of you did that? Oh, the rest of you are not being honest with me this morning. I know you, I know you did that. <laughs> But, you know, the bottom line is, is you didn't want anybody to do what you did or say what you said, right? You didn't want anyone imitating you. Well, then we grow up a little bit more, and all of a sudden, uh, it's okay to imitate someone or have somebody imitate you. 
Uh, when I say that, I'm thinking about somewhere around high school, right? Um, normally in high school, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just my age, but sometimes the high school kids, they start to look very similar to me. But, uh, and they, that's not to say that they don't have different groups doing different things because they do. But for the most part, once they decide what group they want to be a part of and associate with, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they, you see them starting to choose to look like each other and talk like each other and dress like each other within that group. That's kind of the, what, what I experience and see anyway. Uh, and so I think that's what's happening. And so imitating is kind of acceptable at that age. But, but then it tends to go the other way again as you get older, especially with you ladies. Yes. Uh, let's just be honest, ladies. The thought of you showing up at a social gathering wearing the exact same thing that somebody else is wearing, well, that's just not a good thing, is it? No, see, not at all. No, no, no. You don't want anybody to imitate you like that. And if they do, what happened? No, we won't talk about that today. Right? But we'll save that for some other time. Uh, but then as you get older, it shifts again. And I, I think all of a sudden you start to realize something about imitation, right? We realize that it is not as bad as we once thought. In fact, we even begin to take it as though it's a compliment, right? We say, after all, imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? Yeah, and so we like it. That's a cool thing. And perhaps never is that statement more true than when one of our kids decides that they want to imitate us, right? Uh, I remember um, when uh, Josh was just a toddler. He, he's a little bigger than a toddler now, uh, sitting up here in the front row. But I remember when he was a toddler and uh, it came time to cut the grass, right? Uh, I, you know, I would go out every Saturday, either morning or afternoon, depending on what the weekend looked like, and there I'd be, and I'd be cutting the grass, and he'd run, and he'd grab his little toy lawnmower, and he came flying out the door, and he was right behind me as we went back and forth and back and forth, so that he could say that we cut the grass, right? It was really kind of cool, though. He was imitating his dad, and that's a very cool moment in the life of a parent, right? Uh, we all like it when our kids try to imitate those things in us. Well, guess what? So does God. Do you ever think about that? God loves it when his children imitate him. I would say that's one of his greatest desires for us and for our lives, is to be like him. That's what we heard Paul saying to the, the, the church in Ephesus this morning in our reading from Ephesians 5.1. He's saying it to us too. He just simply says, hey, look, be imitators of God. We are to imitate God. Now, we're not to be God. That's different. Right? That's what got the human race into trouble uh, in the first place. That was the motivation behind, behind Adam and Eve eating that forbidden fruit and, and falling into sin to begin with. They, they wanted to be the ones to decide what was good and what was evil, and they wanted to do that independent of God. And so we are not to be our own God, but we are to imitate him. We are to copy God and his heart. We are to imitate God's heart. Uh, it's kind of odd how uh, we often try to imitate people, uh, especially when we try to imitate people that don't want us to Im imitate them. Um, uh, people like professional athletes, uh, even some, um, you know, some movie stars, you know, just some folks like that, they're out there and they're oftentimes they're telling us, hey, look, you know what, I don't want to be your role model. I don't want, you to, to, I don't want the responsibility of you trying to fashion your life after mine. You know, I, I don't want that. I don't want you to imitate me. And the interesting thing about it is oftentimes what I see anyway is that those are the very people that we are trying to imitate. Why is that? 
Why do we try and imitate? I mean, because we do that for better or for worse, and oftentimes it's for worse. And then along comes a person, namely God, and he says, be imitators of me. And what do we do? So many times we look at God and we say, thanks, God, but no thanks. And that's been going on for millenniums. And we just need to understand that that hurts the heart of God. And it causes him great pain to see that happen in the lives of his kids. Uh, we, we, we read about that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Uh, it just simply says there that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Did you catch how that last phrase describes our condition before God? It says every inclination. Uh, literally, the Hebrew there means imagination. So it could be every imagination of the thoughts of, of our heart is only, only evil all the time. I think you would agree that that's not a very good description of the human race. In fact, that's an indictment on the human race, isn't it? And it's interesting because we, we, we get so surprised, even shocked at times, at some of the nasty stuff that goes on around us. And yet what the Bible is telling us there is that really our only propensity is towards not being very nice and being, or, or being good people. In fact, if it wasn't for the love and the grace and the work of God in our world, in our hearts, in our lives, we would be even, in even worse shape than what we are right now. And Genesis goes on here, and it tells us in verse 6, it says that the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. That word there, grieved, literally also can mean repent or regrets. And so you could render that verse like the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, that's one of those verses that makes me drop straight to my spiritual knees to think that that is what I am doing when I try and do life my own way. That's how, I'm re- how, how I wind up relating to God. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe, our creator God, regretting that which he had created. The God who lovingly created everything with us in mind regrets his creation. Why? Well, you, well, because, honestly, because the crown of his creation, namely humankind, people just like you and me, we turn our backs on him uh, because the condition of our hearts was evil all the time because the crown of his creation will idolize all kinds of stuff from money to sex to power to status and we will imitate all kinds of people from sports stars to rock stars to movie stars, even religious stars. And yet in ways big and small, we will refuse to imitate God. It's the challenge of the Christian life, isn't it? That's the struggle in the Christian heart. 
to imitate God. A holy, righteous, just, loving, gracious, merciful God wants us to imitate him. He loves us. And out of his love for us, knowing what is best for us, he outlines that which is best for us and is acceptable to him. And that's kind of what we start to pick up on in Ephesians chapter 5 that we heard read just a moment ago. He kind of lays out some things for us, some very specific things as to what it is that that is best for us, some of the things that are best for us to stay away from. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 3, I'll just repeat this verse. It says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. In other words, what that tells us is that it really doesn't matter, uh, you know, uh, how loudly somebody professes that they are a Christian. It really doesn't matter how many times a person talks about the fact that they've been born again. If they are engaging in immoral, impure, uh, or greed, uh, a greedy lifestyle, they might not be who they say they are. And he gets real specific here for us. And this is hard. This is a hard part of Scripture for us to kind of rest in and, and, and sit in for a while. But that, I, wanna, I want us to do that for just a little while here this morning. Because he gets really specific. He starts out and he says, look, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. We struggle with that, don't we? Can, can, we, can we admit that? Our society has a problem handling sexuality. It, it, it virtually idolizes it. It is obsessed with it. it. It hates to recognize boundaries for its expression. You see, our legitimate desires for love and intimacy have gone haywire. And it's caused a great amount of confusion and chaos. And amidst all of that confusion and chaos, what have we done? We have once again chosen to ask to seek counsel, and to imitate everyone, oftentimes at the exception of God. And I don't know, I just think that's kind of crazy. I mean, God is not some kind of a a sexual spoil sport. He ordained it. He invented it. And so I'm just thinking that maybe the one that should be consulted on the issue would be him, and when he says that sexuality is something that I've ordained for humanity within the framework of the, uh, of, of the way I've ordained marriage, well, I'm just thinking that we should probably believe him and follow him, after that, follow him in that. And that he should be the one that addresses and answers our questions about those things, about how far is too far and what is right and what isn't. Dear friends, what we do with our bodies matters because we belong to God. We talked about that over the, the last three weeks, right? How he created us, how we belong to him. We, he, he's the only one that can claim that we are fully his, right? And not only that, but he then, he then as we talked about last, uh, last, the last three weeks, that he invested in us and then he reinvests us. And when he reinvested in us, he did that at the cost of his son, Jesus Christ. He bought us, the Bible says, with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's why 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that in response to that, that we should flee from sexual immorality and that we should, uh, it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit of God? Therefore, honor God with your body. There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality. Second thing he says is that there shouldn't even be a hint of greed. Uh, Sin has been described as seeking to get more out of life than God put into it. Uh, Even though God has packed life full of good things, most of us at one time or another, we just are not satisfied with what it is that he has given us. And when the desire for more takes over, it starts to distort our mind, it debilitates us, and eventually becomes our master. 
Uh, you see, uh, when we start finding our creation in something other than the creator, we, we, we have issues because what happens there is the created now becomes the object of our worship rather than the creator. And we sit back and we start saying things to God like, you know what, God, I, I just don't find you to be satisfactory. You're not satisfying me. I don't, I don't find you all that you're cracked up to be. I, I, don't, I don't want you to be the God of my life. Thanks for all the cool stuff you've given me and everything, but if you please would just step aside now so that I can ignore you and I worship that which you have made. And when the created becomes that which matters as opposed to the creator, I become an, idol an idolater. And that's an ultimate insult to God. And there should be no hint of that in the life of a Christ follower. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 4 goes on and says, Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting sometimes when you listen to people talk. Some people let it all hang out. Other people, they try to slip on by by using subtleties and innuendos. Uh, some people think that they are in the clear as long as God's name is not used specifically in a given remark. But when you look at this verse, what does it say? It says that we should stay away from obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which means that uh, those off-color jokes, saying things that put other people down or that, that, that damage a person's reputation, sexually implied speech, all of those things are things that should not be a part of a Christ follower's vocabulary. That's just a way, another way that we play with sin in our life. And so rather than that, rather than, than, than letting those things come out of our mouths, Ephesians tells us that we should be expressing thanksgiving and praise to God. That's the proper use of our vocabulary. You say, well, why thanksgiving? Well, it's because it is difficult to give thanks and sin at the same time. Try that. Give thanks to God and then sin all at the same time. It's, it, 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 it is. You, you can't do it. Thanksgiving is an antidote to sin. And so our vocabulary, the words that come out of our heart, which the Bible tells us really flows out of our mouth, the Bible tells us actually flows out of our heart, they should be filled with thanksgiving and, 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 and praise and giving glory to God. It says, be imitators of God. You say, okay, well, I get that, I understand all you're saying, but, but, but how, how do we imitate God? Well, I got to tell you, when I read this command, uh, one of the first things that I think about is the, some of the aspects of God's nature and I think about especially the ones that we cannot imitate. For instance, uh, God is omnipotent, right? He's all-powerful. We certainly cannot imitate that. Uh, God is uh, omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere all at once. We certainly cannot imitate that. Uh, God is also omniscient. Uh, he knows everything. Now, some of us may think that we can imitate God on that, but we really can't. We really don't know everything. And so we can't imitate his power, his presence, or his knowledge, but there is one way that we can imitate God and be just like him. It is by imitating God's heart. You say, well, how can I imitate? How can we imitate God's heart? One word. The word is love. Scripture even says that about God, that God is love. That's how you imitate God's heart. You love God and you love other people. Uh, Ephesians 5.2, we heard it read. It said, live a life of love. A little bit later on, it tells us that once we were in darkness, but now we are in the light of the Lord, so we should live as children of the light. We should be, be, be living in that love, and we, uh, the, the life of love that Christ, the way he loves us and the way he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you love God the way he loves you. You love other people the way God loves you and the way God loves other people. You put their needs in front of your own. You extend the same covenant to others that God has already extended to you, a covenant of love and a covenant of forgiveness. 
And so instead of casting people off in the scrap heap of life, we offer them the love and the compassion and the forgiveness that God first gave to you and to me. That's why Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. When you treat people with kindness and compassion and forgiveness, you are imitating the heart of God. You are living as children of light. You're living in a way for the world to see God and his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the band to come up. They're going to lead us in another song here in just a a couple minutes. And as they're getting ready, just just let me close by by, uh, calling your attention to this. Um, You may be familiar with the story of Noah and how after the flood, God uh, made a covenant with Noah, right? He promises that he will never again destroy life by means of a flood. And the sign of the covenant, you may recall, uh, the reminder of that covenant that that God put in place was what? He put a Rainbow. rainbow in the sky. Well, dear friends, I hope you realize that God has made a new covenant with humankind promising forgiveness of sins, promising eternal life to all those who believe in his son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. Which means that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how dark your life has been, God is going to be faithful to that covenant. And the sign that we associate with that covenant is the sign of the cross. Now, when I was a little kid, maybe this was the case for you, I was always told that at the end of every rainbow there was a pot of gold, right? Pot of gold. I remember begging my dad sometimes when we were in the car and a rainbow would appear, dad, get to the end of that rainbow. We never found it, by the way. But dear friends, I think there's something a whole lot better at the end of God's rainbow for us. See, I think at the end of that rainbow is a cross. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we are never more like God. We never imitate God's heart. We never live as children in the light more than when we point to the love and the forgiveness that God has waiting for people at the end of the rainbow, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. So be imitators of God. Love God the way he loves you. Love other people the way God first loves you and as, the, as he loves other people. Be merciful the way God is merciful with you. Extend grace as God has extended it to you. Forgive as God and Christ Jesus forgives you. As Paul tells us in Ephesians, live a life of love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because that's when people see what it is that they need the most, which is God's Son, Jesus Christ. So imitate him. Imitate the heart of God in Jesus' name. Amen.